All right. So, Merry Christmas. We're down just a little bit, so you have to go higher to make up for it. So, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's awesome. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> thank you. I don't know if anybody else likes that, but I sure do. All right. All right. Thank you guys so much. So, I am really excited about what we're going to do today because, once again, the Lord just gives such precious gifts. And he's given me something today that I'm just, I just, I think you'll really be blessed by. Now watch. When we celebrate Christmas, this incredibly wonderful time of the year, there's really one story that we have in our mind. And it is the story that kind of goes with this, uh, with that image. Well, oops. With, okay, one more time. With that image, right? It's the story of this young girl who has an angel come to her and say, that even though she's never had relations with a man, she's going to become pregnant. And that this is going to be something from God. And, you know, she says yes to it. And then the husband wants to put her away. You know, they're betrothed, but they're not going to get married because, I mean, this is not cool. And then God speaks to him in a dream, or God makes it clear in a dream to him that this is actually from the Lord and to stay there. And so sure enough, they, they're, they're in another city. They have to come to Bethlehem in order for the census to be taken. They get to the city. Uh, she is, there's no room in the inn. She has to go to the manger. That's where she actually gives birth in this lowly place. At the same time that she gives birth, the story, you know, that we all know so well. And, and everybody knows this. Whether you're Christian or not, you know this story. Where there's angels that then appear to the shepherds and they talk, good peace on earth, good will towards men. And then the whole heavenly choir shows up and there's this glorious moment. And then the, the shepherds come running into town and find the babe just as they said. And then a little bit later some wise men show up who have seen a sign in heaven. And they're trying to come to this, to this baby, right? This newborn. Now that's the Christmas story. That's the one that we all get, right? Now, there is another story, though, that without this other story, that story wouldn't mean nearly what it actually means. In other words, there's something underneath the story that we all know and celebrate at Christmas that has to be there. And that is the story that this child that's to be born is Emmanuel. The virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so we understand that this baby is not just a person, it's God himself. This child is God come to us. Why? Simple, we've, we've heard it before, but in the garden, God made us, and all he wanted to be was with us. So he's with us, but he never compels that we be with him. So what he does is he says, look, you, have, you may eat of any tree in the garden, but of that tree, don't eat, because in the day that you do, it will separate us. You'll die. I'm life. I'm the creator. When you're separated from that, it's death. And so what he's saying, real simple, is I've given you free will choice, and of course, we made that choice. And then the whole rest of history, as we've been looking at for the last few weeks, is a play out of how do we ever get back to him, and the answer is you can't. What we find out after, you know, a couple thousand years, you can't get back to him. And so what happens is, at that point in time, God says, now that, now that you know you can't get back to me, I'm going to bring you back to me. I'm going to do what it takes. And that's Emmanuel, this baby who is God. 
And of course, in this story, the key is, is that we have the end at the beginning in our minds. Because we understand what that means is this moment on the cross. Where Jesus is taking upon himself the choices we made to separate ourselves from God. He's putting that on himself and dying. And people who are Christians, now everybody knows the Christmas story. People who are Christians and a lot of other people too know this deeper story that makes that Christmas story so important. But here's what I want to show you. What we have is, is that, that first story, the Christmas story, and then underneath it we have this foundational story here about this baby being God. But it turns out that that underneath story actually has two parts of it. There is the part here that has to do with the cross, but there's this other part where it's God come to be with us. If you did not get a chance to see last week's sermon, may I highly recommend that you tune into it at some point in time because it's going to talk about the, the Easter story, the cross being the penultimate, and I know that that's the wrong use of the firm. John, love you, thank you. But it's the second to the end. The end, the point is relationship with him. And that's what we talked about last week. But I just want to say something. See, so that means that on earth, there's this time when he's showing us what life can be like. There's this time when he's showing us, let me catch the season, right? There's this time when he shows us that our lives can be Christmas all the time. Can be the celebration. Can be the joy. Can be the song in your heart can be the overflowing gifts, can be all of this thing. That there is this thing that Jesus did when he was alive with us on earth as a man, that there's this other part to it, right? This other part. This, by the way, Jesus was really a man. This is the Shroud of Turin cloth. And there are people, still to this day, we don't know for certain that it is Jesus, but here's the thing that we do know for certain at this point in time. No scientist, and there have been the best, no scientist can tell you how that image was made. This is actually done through a camera technique and another thing, and I've talked about it before, so let me not now. But here's what I want to say. That is the Shroud of Turin. That's not a touched-up image or anything else. That's just using a certain photo photographic technique which pulls out 3D from 2D. And you can't do that with a normal painting, or you can't even do it with a photograph. But in this cloth, there's a 3D image in it. Which, again, nobody knows how that was happening. There's all kinds of things about that they don't know what happened. But here's the thing that we see if you want to say that that is Jesus. And if it's not, it's still true anyway, which is Jesus came as a person. Right? And he lived as a person to show us what life could be like. So here's my question for you. If Jesus showed us what life could be like, is anybody living Jesus' life the way that Jesus did? Is anybody here living life the way that Jesus did? And I don't just mean empowered the miracles. I mean the joy, the abundance, the rivers of living water flowing out of you, the, the thanksgiving, the praise, the peace, the trust. Is anybody here living the life that Jesus clearly came to show us that we could be? Forget about the miracles. Or add them back in if you want. But just... Think about that for a second. Is anybody living that? Well, it turns out that in order to live that, you have to see something else that's in the Christmas story, which let me make it clear, particularly to Americans. 
We do not see it. It's all over the story. I'm going to show you in a second. There's a truth that's in the Christmas story that is almost more emphasized by God. In fact, almost is not the right word, which is actually more emphasized by God than is that Jesus is God. There's another truth about who he is. It's emphasized right in the Christmas story, and we don't see it. It's hiding in plain sight. And when we do see it, we start understanding what we can do in order to start living this life of joy, of abundance, of rivers of living water. Now, is that something you want for Christmas? Does that sound like a good Christmas gift? So that's what I'm excited to do with you today. So this is awesome. Josh Morris, who is, Josh Morris, honestly, helped build this church. That's just right down the, the, the you know, Josh was absolutely one of the key people, if not one of the most key people that God used to really build the foundation of what God has been doing now for, I don't know what it is, 17, 18 years. So Josh, love you so much. Thank you for everything. Works at World Vision now. God has blessed him mightily. Uh, love you so much. Would you pray for the sermon? Would you lift up another church? Thank you, Jesus, that we get to celebrate life, that we get to celebrate the life that you've given us. We get to celebrate your life. Uh, and Father, I just ask that you would allow us to open our hearts, allow us to open your, our spirits to your word today, to your truth. Um, that we would be encouraged, that we would be built up Amen. as individuals and as a body. Um, yeah, Father, thank you for leading us. Thank you for uh, leading all of the churches on the east side. Amen. Um, Father, I just ask that you would Amen. help us to reach the people that need you. Amen. Um, that this place would be a place that people see you and experience you and know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Josh. So let's get to what this thing is. Now, the first words that are spoken to Mary, I want you to look at them, but I don't want you to look at them the way that we do, knowing about Jesus being God and the cross and everything else. I want you to look at them and just look at them as if you were seeing them for the first time, and then Jesus hadn't done everything he's done, so there was no way to know it, even though it was prophesied. Nobody knew it. Now, just watch these words and tell me what you think they say. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now tell me, out of those verses, do you get that Jesus is God? Or do you get that Jesus is king? You see it? From the throne of David. David was a king, whom, and God loved David so much that he said, the king, the Messiah, the one that's going to come, that's going to reign forever, he's going to come from you. And, and just look at the way he talks about it. He'll give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign. What, what does a king do? Who else reigns? Who is he talking? What, what kind of person is he talking about here? See, this king will reign over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom. <laughs> King's got to have a kingdom, right? Now, let's just go through more of the Christmas story, and I want, I want to show you how this is. Oh, I could, do the, I could do this one much longer than I did. You'll thank me later for not doing that. 
But where is this newborn king of the Jews to the wise men? See what they're saying in the EDS? They, they know to be looking for something, the Persians and when Daniel was with them and so on, and they have these prophecies, and they know what to look for. We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. So they're talking about a king, right? Well, let's, let's go a little bit. Watch this one. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. This is the angels talking to the shepherds. Now, when the shepherds hear that language, what do they think? Do they think, oh, my gosh, God has been born? No, the long-promised, long-awaited Savior of Israel, which is to say the king that will overcome the Roman oppressors and make Israel no longer be slaves to another king. You see it? This is language that is triggering in them kingship. This is not language that's triggering in them God. He is, and we'll know that later. But you see how written throughout the story is this king thing. Here's another one. Uh, king Herod, when the wise men come, says, where's the baby supposed to be born? They tell him from the Old Testament prophecies again. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a what? That's a king. A ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. How about this one? Entering the house, the wise men, they saw the child with Mary's mother. Falling on their knees, they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't know this because we don't do the king thing anymore. Right? Uh, you know? But gold, frankincense, and myrrh is what you would give a king. Because of what they meant. And I could go into it in more detail, but let me not. Let me just say, this is what you would give a king. And moreover, what you would do to a king is you would worship him. See it? You worship a king. We'll see why in a little bit, but the bottom line is they worshiped him. This was, you see, we think worship and we think God only because we're good Americans, <laughs> right? We don't have got no king. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. <laughs> Thanks. But you see it? Okay, Are you, all right. For a child is born to us, a son is given us. This is in Isaiah. A lot of these have been prophecies, but this is the actual prophecy. Now, this is the one from which we get most clearly that Jesus is God. This is the scripture. There's several others, but this is the one that couldn't make it more clear. Let me just read it to you the, the way that I want to read it right now. For a son is born to us, now skip, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Wait a minute, he's the son. How can you call the son the father? Right? Except he being God. Prince of Peace. But that's not how it reads. The way that it reads is the government will rest on his shoulders. And then it goes into the God stuff. So even right here in this one that's talking about him being God, what he's saying, what's the government rest on his shoulders mean? King. <laughs> He's the one that's responsible for it. He's the one on whom it rests. The kingship rests. The one promised to David, so on. All right? So the point is, he, in Revelation it tells us that he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. And it's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
I just want to take, I've got to take one second. I've already kind of made brief reference to it, but I just want to develop a, a little sub thing that's going to help us get a hold of this kingship thing in a way that's going to make it make more difference to us. There are lots of places around the world that still have, if not a king, a despot, or a tyrant, or a dictator, or something, someone who rules the world. There might even be elections, right? So they have the, the, the so they have the, the, the facade of some sort of democracy. But in truth, what they have is a, is a king. See what I mean? There's plenty of places in the, over the world where there is, just more flat out, a king, right? By the way, I just keep seeing him. Is that John Hepburn back there? John Hepburn, this is awesome to see you. Welcome back, okay? Lovely to see you. So, but, but the point is, 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 is see, we don't, when we, when we hear king in an American ear, see, it doesn't mean anything, does it? If you lived even, even in England, at least it would mean more to you. Why? Because there's the beloved fam royal family or the hated royal family or the whatever. But there is the royal family, right? And they got Buckingham Palace. They've got a, they got a place where they live and they own a lot of stuff and they're important, right? But, but to us, this whole idea of king doesn't fit us at all, does it? In fact, it's, it's quintessentially non-American to think king. Particularly if you understand what king means. Because when he says king of kings and lord of lords, you know what the word lord means if you were to use a synonym for lord? You know what that means? Decider. The one who decides for you. He makes the decisions you obey. You're a slave. You're a servant. You're a subject. He's the Lord. He makes the decisions. The Lord is the one that decides for us. Well, that's not okay, right? I'm free to do, you know, inalienable rights and free to do what I want. It, this is not okay. It, to our ear, this idea that someone should be decided, deciding things for me is quintessentially un-American. We're the, we're the nation, and this is in a good way now. Don't misunderstand me at all. We are the nation that sits on a hill whose light goes out because of freedom. Now, we know it's because of Christ, if you're a Christian and so on, but the bottom line is what the, what the world looks to when they look at America is they see freedom. They see people being able to choose and not being forced to do. See it? So this whole idea of king... Listen, let's, let's just make it clear. Who are you to be telling me what to do? There's a, is it Colby Kelly? Or anyway, I love her songs. And who made you the king of anything? Right? A really great song she came out with about a year ago. Who made you the king of anything? Talking to a guy who's trying to tell her what to do. Who made you the king of anything? See what I mean? That's how we are, right? Good song. So, with this in mind of what a king really is, let's look at what kind of king he is because I have to say something. This is a very odd sort of king. I mean, let's just look at the trappings of what a king ought to have and be in order just to even be a king. How can you even call a person a king if they don't have these things? Because you see, first of all, you've got to be like born into the royal line, right? You've got to be of Winchester's or Manchester's or some Chester right? You got to be something from somebody somehow, right? You certainly can't be, even if you did happen to be able to trace your lineage back to some king, it doesn't mean you're ever going to get a throne because after all, you're the son of a carpenter. And they don't make car sons of carpenters kings, right? 
That's not how a king gets born. Okay? Maybe you could usurp it by killing everybody above you. That's happening a lot in our soaps right now. It literally, day after day after day, this guy was horrible, then he killed, got killed by somebody. Then that guy was horrible, and he got killed by somebody. Okay, so there you go. All right? Now, never had any significant money. I don't know what, I don't know what would most attract you to being a king, but could you be a king without money? I suppose, yeah, okay, if you really wanted to argue it, but, but what are you the king of without money? You know, your backyard? And you still have to have enough money to have a backyard, right? I mean, what are you the king of if you don't have money? What can you do, okay? Uh, never own any lands. How can you have a kingdom? How can you be the king of a kingdom without any land? You got to have lands, right? You got to have stuff, you know, something, if you don't have anything, what are you the king of? Uh, it doesn't appear that he ever even owned a home, yet alone, you know, a castle like a proper king. Right? Never had anything like this. So how can he call himself a king? Never went to war to protect his own. The fundamental reason why we had kings ever at any point in time was this. No matter how strong you were as a farmer with your little piece of land, there was somebody close to you who was stronger than you. And if they ever got to feeling their oats, they would come and take what you had. And so you needed to find somebody who was stronger than the guy who would take from you, who would protect you. The reason why people put up with kings in the first place is because kings protected them from stronger people. You see it? You don't see Jesus doing anything like that in an earthly sense, do you? How about this one? Nor did he ever try and take somebody else's. The, one, the funky thing about the world, the funky thing about kings, the funky thing about how things work in this, in this kingdom of the world, the funky thing about how it works is once you get on that, that um, wheel, you can't get off, right? Because if you get strong enough to where you can rest... Well, then you're getting weak and somebody stronger is going to come take you because you got a lot of stuff now. So you got to keep getting stronger, which means no matter where you are, you can't be at peace. You always have to be going after somebody else's stuff so that you can get stronger, so that you can be safer. But that just opens you up to making somebody else even stronger come after you. So you've got to go get them too. See what I mean? They're, on this, they're in this rat race, these kings are. And you don't see him doing anything like that. How can you be a king if you don't have any subjects? <laughs> the people that followed Jesus did so because they wanted to. They weren't compelled to. How can you follow? How can you be a king if you don't have subjects? <laughs> Doing what you want, like forming your army, paying you taxes, bringing in resources and revenues, building forts, building castles, building weapons. How can you be a king if you don't have anybody doing all that stuff for you? Right? In the worldly sense. So this is an odd sort of king. Now he's just not a king in any sense that anybody on this earth has ever seen. Right? If he is a king, of what? But it's not just that he doesn't have the trappings of a king. He doesn't even act like a king. Let's just look at how he does act. He helps people. We talked about how kings can help people by protecting them, but really what he does is you do good by him, and then he does good by you. 
A king doesn't help people. People help the king, right? And then he deigns to help you, maybe. Depends on how he feels that day, right? But, that, but your way of life is not helping people. That's not a king. In fact, Jesus washes their feet. Who does, who does that? A servant. Thank you. A servant. That's what does. This is not a king. This is a servant. And, and it keeps going. Tends to people in their times of need. That's the other way around. When the king needs something, the subjects rise up and do whatever is being commanded of them. What Jesus is doing is taking care of people all the time and wherever their need is, even to his own harm. That's not a king, that's a servant. We, we got it, right? So this is a very odd sort of king. He says he's king of kings and lord of lords, and the question that we could ask fairly now, if we didn't have all the answers you already know and I'm going to get to, is king of what? Well, let's just look at what. Okay, so he doesn't have an upper crust socially in the worldly sense, but he is born in the most royal line, and I'm not even talking about David. I'm talking about God. That's his lineage, right? That's pretty good lineage, <laughs> right? When you do your little DNA testing or whatever it is, you know, mapping it out, you go back to God, that's pretty good. He never had any significant money, but he's the one that made money. Right? I mean, he created everything. He's the king. He's the creator of all the provision that there is. He's the creator of the stuff that we need to live. He's not just the creator of stuff that we need to live. He's the creator of air and water. He's not just the creator of that. He's the creator of you. <laughs> so he didn't have any secret money, but he didn't have any problem with provision, did he? He never owned any lands. I guess, though, if you make the whole universe, you can call it your own. Right? So this is not just some little swath there in England that you're going to fight over for the next thousand years. This is everything. The whole of the universe. It doesn't appear as if he ever owned a home. Yeah, because he lives outside of the material world. Material existence, material universe, physical universe. He lives beyond what we're limited to. It is true that he doesn't have a home in the sense of a proper king because his home is heaven. Okay, so castle, heaven, I don't know, kind of seems like heaven wins. Never went to war to protect his own. Well, actually, he does, doesn't he? He protects us from evil all the time, right? He never tried to take anybody else's. Well, that's not entirely true. He's, gates of hell will not prevail. And he goes and he takes the captives and sets them free. So he's taking territory all the time. Huh. I guess he is a king. And he has subjects, doesn't he? Billions of Christians throughout the ages now. And all the heavenly host except for the ones that fell. And whereas those followers were not compelled, neither are we, but we long to be with him because we adore him.
because we've come to know him as king who protects us. But think about it more deeply now. What's, here's what we're going after is how to have an abundant life, how to live in the Christmas spirit all the time. And this is where it's going to get to be an interesting challenge. Can we say it that way? Because he's clearly established himself as the king of kings right here. But now he's going to establish himself as the Lord of your life, the decider of your life. Because here's what he does. See, he models for us helping people, and he does things. The very first thing he did after he preached, the very first sermon that he gave, and then right after that in the synagogue, there was a man with unclean demonic spirit who cried out in a loud voice, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. So he delivers us from whatever keeps us in bondage. Now that's king, but see, he's modeling something. He's delivering people. And we understand because we've been an empowered for 2,000 years that he's asking us to do what he did. He's asking us to set people free, right? Well, how do we set people free when we're in bondage to where we don't have joy, to where we don't have rivers of living water? We need healing too, which is what he does, of course. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus goes into Simon's house where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick of high fever. Please heal her, everyone breaks. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and prepared a meal for them. Kind of thinking maybe Peter should have done that, but whatever. I mean, you know, let her rest for a second, but I guess she didn't need it. Well, whatever. But, but are you, okay, so... He says, greater than these will you do. As the sun goes down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. This is right at the very beginning of his ministry. He started this roughly 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years later, this is still what he's doing. As the sun goes down, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what the diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. And I say for 2,000 years he's been doing this, but that's not actually true, is it? Because we're not seeing everybody that we touch get healed like he did. So that's an indicator that there is something off. And yet we know lots of healings that he's done. So many were possessed by demons. The demons came out at his command. You're the son of God. Because they knew he was Messiah, rebuked them, refused to speak. Here I hear that language again twice. You see what he's doing is, is what he's saying is, is I want people to be able to choose. I don't, want, I don't want them getting testimony from demons, but more than that, I want people to make a choice about who I am. I want them to see that I heal, and I want them to make a decision. Where is this coming from, and what is this? Right? It's lovely to see you. Merry Christmas. He washes our feet and our lives. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right? And he's asking us to be a part to do that too. See, he tends to, our, to us in our times of need. Look, when it's something serious, how many people would like to pay their taxes like this? Go down the lake, throw in a line, open the mouth of the first fish you catch, you'll find a large silver coin, take it and pay your tax. Anybody in for that one? I'm good. I feel like, I feel like I'd be fine with giving the government that. Right? But it's not just little things. 
just as he neared the gate of a town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son. You know what that means? They don't have social security or welfare or helps and so on. She's going to be destitute. She's going to live off the kindness of people that will, and she'll be poor, and her life will be most likely miserable. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on who? On her. And he said, don't cry. And then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearers stopped. You're not supposed to touch dead people, right? Makes you unclean. Right? And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The uncleanness didn't go to him. His cleanliness went to him. That's what we're supposed to do. We sanctify. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. See, that, that gave him to his mother. The son that can keep you from destitution is restored to you. Obviously, we could go on and on with this, but the bottom line is cast all your care on him for he cares for you. And then what does he say? In the way that you've been comforted, comfort. God did all this stuff for you. Pass it on. Pay it forward. Right? It's come to you. Give it out. And then he does outrageous things for a king to say. I mean, this is, in a certain sense, this sort of just violates the whole king thing so badly, it's unbelievable. Look, but he not only says for us to do them, he models doing it. Just remember that when he's on the cross, being surrounded by those guards, having been placed there by the Roman army and the Jewish leaders, and you and me, right? The people that he was dying for were the very people that put him on that cross. As it says in another place in Scripture, sometimes maybe somebody might die for a friend. You all think that you would, but then when time comes, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Right? But the fact of the matter is, is, is nobody dies for their enemy. And here's Jesus. While, his enemies, while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The people at the bottom of that cross poking at him, beating him, putting crowns of thorn on his head. That's who he's helping. <laughs> That's modeling something fairly important. But then he has the gall. Sorry, but then he has the gall to turn around and tell us, that's the way I want you to live. You've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say, do not resist an evil person. What are you talking about? How is that okay? What do you mean don't resist an evil person? I thought we were supposed to resist evil persons. The only thing it takes for evil to prevail is for us not to, right? If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If your suit in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. Give to those who ask. Don't turn away those who want to borrow. We've established that he's king, way beyond any king here. What we're doing right now is he's telling us to do things that don't make sense to us. They don't, they're not the world that we live in. This behavior is not how we could live because people would take such advantage of us, and it would ruin us.
yet what he's saying is, is he's saying, this is the way that I want you to live. This is the heart that I want you to have. This is what I want you to do. Do you see it? When he says that he's Lord of Lords, when he says that he's decider, here's what he's telling. Here's what he's asking you to do this Christmas. He's asking you, let me decide for you how to live your life the best possible way. I'm going to say that again just because some people might have been distracted. Do you hear, what I'm, do you hear what's being said? We've just walked through the things that Jesus is asking you to do, and we've just established that these things are not the things that we do naturally, and they're not even things that we want to do, and they're certainly not things that we think we should be doing. And yet what he's saying when he says he's king and Lord is he's saying, I'm not only over, but I'm also the decider. And so the question starts to become, what would happen if we actually let him decide things? What would happen? See, here's how Paul says it. Look, you're free from slavery to sin, and you become slaves to righteousness. Now that you are free from slavery to sin, you become slaves to righteous living. Now, we're not really slaves, are we? We've been set free, haven't we? But look at how he says it. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand, let me paraphrase, how to live. In other words, watch this. When I think of myself as free, how do I live? I still make the choices I did in the garden. When I think of myself as free, what choices do I make? Not so good choice, right? Every once in a while, one's for God, yay. But every once in a while, one's not for God. Not yay. Not cool. Not okay. Not the fullness. Not the abundance. Not the blessing that Christ modeled for me. He told me to live, showed me how to live it, help, helps me to live it by having the Holy Spirit inside of me. Listen to last week's sermon. Are, are we there? Are we getting it? He doesn't, he established, look, he's a king whether you think he's king or not. <laughs> There's going to come a day when everybody's going to go, oh, you were king. A lot of people are going to say, oh, you really were there. And then everybody's going to say, and you are king. Creator gets to be king. But the thing, if we're going to live an abundant life, if we're going to live a life that has joy in it, if we're going to live a life that has fullness in it, that has everything that God has for us in it, then we're going to have to live a life where he's not just king of our lives, but he is Lord. Where he's making these decisions, where he's doing these things. Now, I have to tell you, that's a struggle. I think that this is the Christian walk. Right here, we have just defined what the Christian walk is. Is he going to be Lord or not? And I don't mean big. I mean, you're making a decision right now about whether to do your devotional or not. Is he going to be Lord or not? You're making a decision about how to put that particular expense in your tax thing. Is he going to be Lord or not? You're making a decision about... What is it? Everything. What friends to have, how to do th everything. He's not trying to steal anything from you by being Lord. He's saying you can do it if you want. What he's saying is, I just happen to have something for you that is magnificent in ways that you've never experienced. Why? Because you've never let me actually be king and Lord in your life. 
He's a king whether you think he is or not. But we can choose whether or not to, to have him be king in our lives. Whether to enthrone him in our lives. We can choose that. He gave us that right. And then we don't. And then we wonder why it doesn't work. <laughs> why it doesn't feel like it ought. Right? I mean, this is our plight. So here's what we have to do. It's really simple all of a sudden, isn't it? What we have to do is figure out some way to make Jesus Lord, to enthrone him as king in our lives. We have to figure out a way to do that. So we're going to do this together. You're going to help me do this. We're going to enthrone Jesus properly, as God did when he highlighted that he is king. We're going to enthrone him. He's already on his throne. We're going to enthrone him in our hearts and lives as king right now, and you're going to help me do this. And the way we're going to do it is, do you know what a responsive reading is? Yes. Right? You've been to a liturgical church before, and, and, the, and the officiant, in, in that case a priest, in my case a pastor. But anyway, the point is, is that, that he'll say something like, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then the congregation says... Right, and, and what you're doing, now here's what, it, here's what the liturgical becomes, unfortunately, because of the way that we are. We do it over and over because it's rote, and so we don't pay any attention to it, we just say it, and we think about lunch. See? We think about, are the Seahawks going to win? <laughs> his mercy endures, we need his mercy to endure. So, so you see what we do is, is that we think, right? We think about other things. We don't think about the words that are being said. But because we're not a liturgical church, we get to think about these words that are being said in one of the first liturgies ever written, right? And we're going to do 136. And we're going we're gonna to walk right through as did, I think it was King David. We don't know for sure, but it's probably King David. There's several reasons to think that. But the bottom line is King David is laying out. He'll start. Now watch this. Very important. He'll start with the big stuff, creation. And then he'll start drilling down to the specific stuff like the nation of Israel. So he'll start with stuff about creation, and then he'll move it into things that God has done for Israel. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to start with creation with me, and then the things that he did for Israel. We are, after all, grafted into that tree. This is things that he's showing us he can do for us. But the whole time that we're doing this, I want you to be thinking of, what are the things that you have that you could put out as a liturgical moment? And, and by the way, here's what I'm not asking for. I'm not asking for a five-minute testimony. Because then we won't remember to say his mercy endures forever. We're talking about that short. We're talking about he healed me from what? Or he provided for me in what? Or he did, or he, you know, and you can, you can say generic things like, you know, he gave me life. If that's what you're thankful for, if that's what you do to enthrone him in your life, then what we're going to do after we get up with Psalm 136 is we're going to roll right into a liturgical moment with the whole congregation, only you're going to be the ones that come up with the first statement. And after you make your statement, then we're all going to say, His mercy endures forever. You see what we're going to do? We're going to have a Christmas moment. We're going to bless the Lord by enthroning Him in our lives, by crying out what is true about Him, by remembering what is true about Him. Because here's, here's how we are as people, right? It's unfortunate. 
but God can born you again and make it the most incredible experience that you ever had. And then he can do a miracle and heal you. And then he can provide for you incredibly for over a decade like he did for me. And then he can, well, my whole life, but I mean in an amazing, miraculous way for over a decade. He can do all these things. And then you get into a real crisis right now. And what do you do? Where are you, God? <laughs> right? Why haven't you? What's wrong with you? Right? I mean, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> That's how we are, right? So what do we have to do to combat that stupidity? That thing that we do that is so stupid? We have to, enthro we have to remind ourselves who he is. We have to say, oh yeah, he's the one that did that. Oh yeah, he's the one that did that. Oh yeah, he's the one that did that. See what I mean? And when we start doing that, it changes us. It changes how we're thinking about whatever's happening. Now, I want to say something before we do this. There are people here who don't know the Lord. For you, thank you for being here. Wonderful to have you here. I hope I get to meet you. Let me say this. If you want to enter into this liturgical moment, please do. Love to have you. No problems. Okay? Not an exclusive thing at all. But if you don't want to enter in, that's fine. But I want you and I want everybody here who does know the Lord to listen to the things that we're praising him for. And to know that this God that we serve, this king that we serve, this Lord that we allow to be the Lord of our lives at least some of the time, that this Lord is amazing. The things that he does for us are incredible. And I want you to hear a man a thousand years before Christ talking about the glorious things that God does and I want you to hear people 3,000 years later now saying the same words. God is alive and working and doing and what we're doing is enthroning him so that we start we start behaving from who he is and not from what we fear. Right? So does it sound good? Does everybody get it? I'll be coaching along the way but here's what I want you to do. When, when we get done with Psalm 136, I want you to just stand up and say, da-da-da, you know, God did this. You know, he, he did that. And we're all going to say, you know, his, his mercy endures forever. And then the next person's going to pop up. And then the next, and I really want it to be popcorn prayers. And if two people stand up, we're adults, you can figure it out. Okay? You know what I mean? Let the other person go. One person will say it, and then we'll get back to you. And I'm not calling people out. I just want you to stand up. If anybody talks too long, though, I'm going to say, Something lovingly like, get to the point. <laughs> okay? Do we got it? All right? All right? Does, do I get grace here for that? Okay? You know, if I go like that? All right. Okay. All right. So, ready? I, I'm going to pray before this because I, I have to tell you, when the Lord gave this to me to do, he put something in my heart about what could happen right now. About the power that's in this moment. So I want to come before the Lord and I want to ask him to imbue this with his presence. You know, the communion, it isn't the physical blood and body of Jesus, but it takes on that in meaning. So I want us to have that substance in our lives as we do this. So Lord, in Jesus' name, this congregation comes before you on this Christmas service. 
we celebrate the amazing thing that you have done in Christmas. And now having seen that you made it clear that not by force, but by opportunity, you made it clear to us that you are in fact king. That you are in fact the Lord who can bring us into abundant life in you. And so God, we desire to be ones who would be lifted up by you right now. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, come in and lift us to transcendent places as we enthrone you on our praises in our hearts and in this body and all those watching. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, would you please take this moment and so palpably fill it with your presence that we all know that we were in a holy moment with you when ordained by you, in which we fulfilled because of you, to your glory and pleasure. Help us to do this well, Lord. Help us to do it empowered, anointedly. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Let's pick up the pace on that. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. To him who made great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and the stars to rule by night. To him who struck Egypt in the firstborn. You see him dialing down. To him who struck Egypt in, the first, in their firstborn. And brought out Israel from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and slew famous kings and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant, who remembered us in our lowly state and rescued us from our enemies, who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. The whole thing? I love you so much, but honestly, I really want to do what I think... Hey, Lord, take this. Go ahead.
Thank you. Now, popcorn prayers. His mercy endures forever. Popcorn prayers. Popcorn, not prayers, but popcorn testimonies. Quick. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Amen. His mercy endures forever. Go ahead. Amen. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Amen. His mercy endures forever. Pop up. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Pop up, come on. His mercy endures forever. Come on, you guys. Come on, we go. Amen. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Come on. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Come on. We're not done yet. I can just tell. <laughs> His mercy endures forever. Come on, a couple more. Come on. His mercy endures forever. Come on. Come on, you can do this. Think about it. What's he, what do you have to praise him for? His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. That <laughs> you would think that is mercy. His mercy endures forever. He gives provision for us. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. A few more. 
Come on. His mercy endures forever. Amen. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. We're going to do three. Go ahead. His mercy endures forever. Oh, his mercy endures forever. Yes. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Couple more. His mercy endures forever. Amen. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Amen. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever, thank God. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Amen. His mercy endures forever. There's so much backstory to so many of these stories. But here's what I want you to hear. Did you hear all the healings? Does he heal? Does he? Look, all these people, they're not just crazy. You can explain away one or two of them. You can't explain away all of them. His mercy endures forever. The God that he is is true yesterday, today, and forever. This is who he is. This is who we celebrate. This is who we bend our knee to, bow down to, prostrate our faces to. He is king of kings, and he is lord of lords. And this is who he is, and he is worthy of all of our praise, of all of our joy, of all of our lives, of everything that is. He is worthy of all of it, right? Let me just show you one last thing as we go, to, as we finish up. I just want to show you this, and I'm, I'm going to have to get to it, and hopefully I don't get to it too early. I want to, oops, I did. All right, now, now I want you to, I want you to just, okay, if you've been around me, look, look, I'm very, when you say a good pastor, and I had a conversation with John yesterday and everything, I'm always surprised at how people see me. Because when I look at myself, I see such a flawed human being. Now, I think a lot of people see me flawed that have known me, and John included. Okay? But what I'm saying is, is, is I, I really have said, don't call me pastor. Call me friend. I don't want you to look at me and think, oh my gosh, he's wonderful and I could never do what he does. I want you to think if a slumbag, scumbag like that could do it, so can I. That's honestly what I want you to think, okay? You don't have to think of me as a scumbag, but, okay? 
but I want you to think of, I want you to think, I'm just right with everybody. I'm right here, and I'm just doing everything I'm trying to do to get it right in the Lord, to cast vision for how to get it right in the Lord. Us learning, us growing, us doing this together, right? If you've been with me, things can happen, and they freak me out. I don't like them. My first reaction to them is all flesh, right? I don't like what's happening here. And I will fight and I'll respond and I'll, you know, how many emails have I written that thank God I never sent? You know what I mean? Right? And, and the point is, is that there's these things that happen. But here's what I do. And if you've been with me for very long at all, you know that this is true. When we're praying about something that's really important, not every time, but boy, every time I'd, I'd like to and every time I mean to, I always start my prayer in a certain place. I'm praying for God to meet me in a healing, in a, a provision, in a miracle to fix a situation that's broken, in whatever it is. But where I do not start is, oh, God, fix that. When I start my prayers, and I want us to get a hold of what I'm actually talking about is not prayers, but how to think. When I start, I don't start with what my problem is. I start with who he is. Because, and I'll, I'll usually start, you guys have heard this, who've been with me for very long at all, you've heard me do this a thousand times. I will start with, God, you are the creator of everything. You are the God who is over everything. You are the God who holds the universe in the palm of your hand. You are the God who, and that's just one little galaxy. That's all that is. That's just one little galaxy. There's millions and millions and millions of those out there. And he holds them as, they're nothing to him. For him to create, for him to do. Now here's what happens when I start my prayer, when I start my thought, reminding myself who he is, enthroning him in my life, putting him where he belongs on the throne. It makes my problem pale. It makes, it changes my prayer. I start off by saying, oh God, I need you to move. But by the time I've already thanked him for who he is, praised him for who he is, by the time I get to the praying for the need, I find myself thanking him for taking care of it a lot more than I do asking him to do anything about it. Right? I find myself just going, thank you that you know what's going on. Thank you that you've got something here. Thank you that you're doing a good work. Thank you that you're causing all things to work together for good. For those who love you, call according to your purpose. Thank you, God, for having this in your heart, in your life, in you. Thank you for, just like the universe is in the palm of your hand, so is my care. So is my problem. Right? I want us to live abundant lives. I want us to live lives where rivers of living water are pouring out of us. I want us to live lives that when everything is crap as far as the world would say, we have God's presence so strongly that we're overflowing with joy. Right? And I want to tell you, that isn't out of reach. That isn't pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking, gee, I hope. This is actually what he wants for us. When he comes at Christmas, what he's trying to say is, you know the joy of this moment? You know the, you know the abundance of this moment? You know the incredibleness of this moment? 
this is what I have for you from now until eternity. You do realize that when you get to heaven, you're going to be in his presence in a way. You know, people say, what do I do, play harp for a couple million years? You're going to be in such a blissful state in God, time won't mean anything. It won't be time. But do you get it? It will be everything that you've ever wanted completely. More than you've ever imagined. And here's what he's trying to say to us. Make heaven be now. As much as you can. Bring it to the now. Live in it now. And the way to do that is really simple. Enthrone him. Enthrone him where he belongs. In your heart, in your life. You are king, Jesus. You are Lord, Jesus. You are God. But I'm reminding myself that he's king and that he's my decider. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, take every person in this room today and cause us to see the gift that you give on this incredible time of year. That in Jesus' holy and precious name that you have joy, abundance, that you have incredibleness, that you, you God, you are yourself overflowing with rivers of living water and you've made us in your image to do the same. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you, God. Thank you and then thank you and then thank you again. And we enter into now by you, by your strong right arm. God, where we fail to make you king, show us. Help us get there. Where we make you king, encourage us and show us the benefit, the blessing. Show us what it is that we are inspired to it at every moment. Where we let you actually be Lord and we follow. God, show us the blessing to be had there. That we don't ever want anything but that. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we take this communion. And in the lower cup is this body that is, first of all, it's the life, the body, the thing that we've done, and we have broken it. We have lived a certain way. We have failed to make you king. We have failed to make you Lord. And in so doing, we have broken our own lives. So we put our hand in there and we recognize that by breaking that bread. And then we lift it unto you and say, thank you, Jesus, for carrying that to the cross. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken instead of mine, that you might heal me. Thank you, Jesus, for healing. Thank you, Jesus, for delivering. Thank you, Jesus, for anointing. Thank you, Jesus, for blessing. Thank you, Jesus, for providing. Thank you, Jesus, for creating. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you again. Thank you, Jesus. We take this bread together saying, thank you, God, for coming, saving. Thank you, God. Take together, would you? Now we lift this cup in which is the life, the glorious, spectacular, amazing life. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, we say, God, this life, this abundant life that you have for us, we say to you right now, despite the fact of what we'll say two minutes from now, we say to you, we want this life, and we know that you're the only way that we can get there. So would you, by grace, and a strong right arm, 
would you help us enter into the life that you already have, that you already have for us. In Jesus' name, take together. We're going to be taking an offering. And before we do that, though, I just want to show you something. For anybody who wants to get to know this Lord more, we, this is Christmas. We have gifts for you. This is an incredibly good Bible. If you're comfortable with a Bible in any way, shape, or form, feel free to start here. They've got the thing I love about this Bible over every other one I've ever had, and I think I've had them all. I love the notes in this one because what they do is they teach you how to read the Bible interactively. They ask you questions that you then answer, and you start realizing that God's talking to you through the Word. Love this Bible. But can I say something? As we're doing this discipleship thing, we're learning something about people. People don't know their scriptures. They don't understand where the stories fit. They get into this long thing in Kings where everybody's such a schmuck and they're all killing each other and it's just horrible. And they don't understand why that story, and it's like, why do this week after week? And Here's what I want to say. I think every single person ought to start with this. I really do. It's, a, it's an illustrated Bible and the point is it'll make you understand the whole. So if you're old and you think, I don't want a comic book Bible, would you get that out of your head? Would you say to yourself, this is the overall story so that when you read this, you'll know where those stories fit. Okay? So, and take them both. Okay? We'll give them to you both. Okay? So there's people in the back that'll do that for you. Obviously, I'm hoping that if you're, if you're, if you don't know the Lord, we're giving this to you. If you're somebody who's been going here for a long time, just go back there and get one. I don't care. Just get one. Okay? It's Christmas. 